Quantlayer is a software consultancy based in Brooklyn, New York. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Quantlayer. The information presented should not be construed as investment advice. Guests may maintain positions in assets mentioned in the podcast. Vikram from Quantlayer. Thanks for listening to our podcast. So relational databases versus NoSQL is of interest today given growing data requirements for businesses. Real-time, Internet of Things, storing geodata, financial data are examples of where traditional relational databases don't necessarily make the cut required for modern systems. We discussed the successes and failings of relational databases and how MongoDB's approach to NoSQL data structures allow them to serve specific customer problems with specialized solutions. We look at some customer case studies and finish up with their business model. Before we get into the episode, a word from our sponsor, us. Quantlayer is a software consultancy. We build software applications for our clients, help teams with new product development, and work with them on tech strategy. We love working on all industry verticals while specializing in helping teams with complex problems and bringing their solutions to life. So think real-time features, complex and interactive UIs, parallelism like data aggregation and pipelining, search and indexing and alerting. If any of these more ambitious features sound interesting to you, we would love to chat with you. Drop me a line at vikram at quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M, like Mary, at quantlayer.com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. You've got Quantlayer here. Vikram speaking. I'm joined by Fizan, also known as The Wizard. What's going on, Fizan? Not much. I'm uh, up in Toronto, just cleaning some snow off my car. Nice. All right. So one of our listeners was asking about MongoDB recently. And since they fit the kind of topics of episodes we've had recently, as far as SaaS companies go that we've been covering, I thought they would make a good topic for this episode. So what we'll do is uh, we'll run through what MongoDB is, talk through some of their customer case studies and their benefits, talk about their solution more broadly and whatnot, and then finally finish up with their growth strategy and kind of what we think about their business coming from the perspective of uh, developers who have used uh, MongoDB, have used other databases like Postgres and whatnot. So I don't know, Faison, I think it's probably a good uh, point to maybe, a good spot to maybe just chat about kind of databases broadly and kind of where Mongo fits within that kind of broad database space. Yeah, yeah. I think laying some groundwork uh, will help people better understand what MongoDB is. So talking about databases, obviously the best place to start is your traditional uh, relational database. Some of you may have used uh, Microsoft Access and that's how you're familiar with it. And then there's the traditional players like Oracle, the open source solutions like MySQL and Postgres. So a traditional relational database basically stores data in tables with each new entry being a row. That's the, the simplest way to put it. And that works reasonably well. That's what's been going on for decades. But where that starts to break down is... When you have to write lots and lots of data or read lots and lots of data, traditional databases are not good at being uh, distributed. 
So the, the idea with relational databases is you have a single source of truth. So if you know you have an entry in a table in a specific row, that's in one place. And what we're seeing with modern cloud solutions with these distributed architectures, it gets trickier to scale that up to like large clusters. And there are solutions for that, but sort of the demand for being able to scale to massive amounts of data is what brought along the uh, the NoSQL movement of which uh, MongoDB is part of. So, you know, with a relational database, we had this very fixed schema where you defined a table, you defined the values of each of the columns, and then each row was an entry in that table. Then you have key value stores. So a key value store is exactly what it sounds like. It's meant for sort of very quick lookups. So if you have a key, you can fetch the value for that key. One of the most uh, well-known key value stores is uh, Redis. So these databases are often used for caching. They're usually uh, very fast lookups. They can be distributed. And they don't necessarily work as a general purpose data store the way a relational database would. They're often used in conjunction with a relational database. Third, we have the document stores. So that's what MongoDB is. So for those of you that are familiar with uh, JSON, MongoDB essentially represents your data as a JSON document. So you can still have some of the benefits of a relational database in the sense of being able to index your data for faster lookups, but you have a tremendous amount more flexibility in how you can structure your data and not having to define a schema for every piece of data in the sense that you can write documents into your data store with a lot more flexibility. Um, Justin, to maybe help us visualize it, like relational, I understand you can visualize like the rows and the columns and in kind of what they correspond to. With a key value store, you have a key of, like how would you store relational data in a NoSQL database? Because at some point you do need it, right? You do need to do that. Yeah, so what, what ends up happening is you can structure your documents to mimic relational data in the sense that you know your document becomes a like almost like a a table entry where you are like a row where you have like a key that refers to the document and then within the document you'll have a key that would refer to the the column value mm-hmm. and then the value of that would be the row that may be a little obtuse to visualize, but the idea is that you can represent relational data in a a document store. You just don't get the same built-in guarantees in terms of data integrity that you do with a relational database. Can you give an example of what that data integrity would be? Yeah. So with a relational database, you can really only put data in, in the structure you've defined in the schema. So if you have a table called blog posts, and one of your column values is author, and one of your column values is uh, summary, every single row in that table has to have an author and summary, and you can enforce that. And you can enforce that it has to be text or it has to be a number. You can enforce that it must have both. You know, you can set a lot of rules around the uh, integrity of what that data has to be like. You can create uh, relationships. So rather than having the author be a piece of data inside of that table, 
you can have that be a key that actually refers to a row in another table that has author information. And that will prevent an entry from going in without referring to a real author. So that's the idea of referential right. integrity. So if I have an author's table and I have a like blog post table, I can make sure that I don't enter in a blog post that doesn't refer to an author that already exists yep. in my table. So there's all these things you can do to enforce integrity. The downside to that is that let's say I want to look up all of the blog posts of a given author. I need to join those two tables together to do that lookup. So you can imagine when my tables get very big or if I'm joining multiple large tables, that makes my transactions relatively slow. Let's say I have a million authors and a billion posts, right? <laughs> okay. Which is not that crazy if you think of as, you know some big, like, I don't know, Twitter. <laughs> if you just yeah. think of like uh, users and tweets, that's uh, we're not talking crazy numbers by any means. And so if you threw that in two tables that are having to run on a single machine, you can see where the, the problem arises. So now how are you going to solve that? Well, you might try sharding. What is sharding? You'll have a separate machine that has all of the authors from with last names A through H, and then the other half on the other machine, and it's similar for posts. But now you have this uh, this issue of, well, what if you need to write a blog post to one machine where the author's on the other machine and your network is down and you start losing the guarantees that a relational database uh, gives you. Right. And so the NoSQL databases are much more suited to these like large-scale data read and write problems because they allow you to scale across multiple machines much more easily. They don't maintain the same sort of referential integrity by default on writes, um, you can get a lot of the benefits of indexing for lookups. And the idea is basically that the database layer doesn't enforce the same level of strictness that uh, RDBMS probably would, but you can do some of that in your application level, like the actual client server that's uh, dealing with the database can manage some of that. So it's a trade-off. Yep. You know, in one case, the database gives you a lot of stuff but you give up some scalability, uh, some ability to scale horizontally, particularly. And in the other scenario, you ha get a lot more scalability, but you give up some data integrity guarantees. So I guess some of these problems can get solved with indexing, but I guess what's the relationship there? Like, you know, say your relational database is indexed at what point does that kind of fail you and you, you do have to move to like to NoSQL? So I, I don't know that it's it's so much to do with the indexing. It's really to do with uh, like what do you need in terms of read and write performance? So, you know, one other database type that I wanted to mention that's also used as a, you know, there's lots of very like specialized yep. databases, but one more that I wanted to mention was a, a columnar store. And a columnar store is basically best for where you have to retrieve data by column. So we had talked about in a relation database, each entry is a new row. But if you're doing analysis, uh, you basically might want the whole series of data mm -hmm. for a given column. And so a columnar store allows you to read data by column very quickly. And so really, it, the selection of database has to do with what trade-offs you're willing to make for your given use case. So if you don't have the scaling 
issues. Like you're not dealing with the amounts of data or the amount of read and write capacity at which like a traditional SQL database mm-hmm. starts to break down. That's probably still your best bet. Modern SQL databases are very performant. There are pretty good third-party solutions for handling uh, some level of sharding and, and distribution. And now they support uh, JSON. So if you want to have some level of like unstructured document, you can essentially make that one of the columns in your row. Right. So uh, we've done that in some of our projects where we essentially had mostly relational data, but we had some that like varied that we wanted to leave as like a open-ended document. And we just made that one JSON column. Right. Like uh, post Postgres, for example, I think in uh, version nine and above, they have like this JSON B format. Yeah. And so, so if you don't have those uh, scaling limitations, like everything we were doing could be run on a single Postgres machine. And so it made sense to just stick to Postgres. Um, and then when the time came, add Elasticsearch because we were doing a lot of like search-based stuff that uh, indexing the data as a document and getting the benefits of Elasticsearch made sense. Yep. For a lot of the case studies we're going to be talking about later today, these are very large companies with hundreds of terabytes or more of data so on which they're running analysis. So a relational database is not going to be a good solution. So once you've determined that a relational database is not a good solution, then you have to look at what am I doing with my data? Is it very write heavy? Is it very read heavy? Um, How am I reading it? And that will determine what sort of database makes sense, whether you want a document database, whether you want a columnar database, uh, et cetera. Yep. So let's do this. Let's go right into the case studies, because I think then we can like talk about the the trade-offs between, um, you know, why they might have chosen Mongo versus like going relational or not, or not using like one of those other NoSQL ones you mentioned. Sure. Okay. So if... Mongo went public a while back, a couple years back, but in their prospectus, they have these customer case studies and, you know, a lot of prospectuses have kind of like, how do our customers use our product? And they typically don't get updated in 10Ks and occasionally maybe in like annual filings, they might do it. But a prospectus is always nice to go back if to kind of like really dig into what is the company doing exactly and super helpful for like these tech companies. All right, so the first customer that they mention is Barclays. Uh, the Okay, so they say Barclays is a major global financial services provider engaged in retail banking, credit cards, wholesale banking, and all that. Their core banking systems are predominantly mainframe-based. They've taken a massive effort to digitize the bank and found that older infrastructure systems are unable to provide the flexibility and speed of change expected. As the scale of digital adoption increased with millions of customers accessing their account details online, mainframe utilization costs increased too. And so then they get into what Mongo did for Barclays. So solution benefits. To address the multiple challenges of enhanced resilience, extensibility, and digital scale, Barclays turned to MongoDB Enterprise Advanced in 2012. With our support, Barclays set up a center of excellence to help adopt the new technology. There's a lot of like sales talk in here, but let's get into specifically what benefits Barclays was seeing. This application handles an average of 20 million transactions a day and enables improved customer service at all touch points, as well as faster fraud detection. 
And then they list a few benefits. Significant performance improvements in query response time, improved resiliency, opportunities to save costs by offloading a significant volume of transactions from the core legacy systems, increased developer productivity, including the ability to develop apps and move them to production within weeks. So what's your take there? Yeah, so I mean, this seems like a, you know, we're not even comparing a, Mongo against like a modern relational or columnar store, this is a a clear win because they're upgrading like legacy systems. Yep. So, you know, the first one, performance in query response time, that makes perfect sense. One of the best reasons to go with a NoSQL database is when you have these very large data sets, like in their case, all of their customer and transaction data, you can have very customized queries against documents rather than having to perform these large table joins that I had previously mentioned. So you're going to be able to breed your data how you want uh, very quickly. The second point you brought up was improved resiliency. Same thing. It's a distributed data store, so you can do a lot more in terms of having the data reproduced in ways that you can improve resiliency or also that, that goes back to query response time. It's a lot easier to duplicate data in a system like that. And then uh, they talk about productivity and saving costs. I think that one is, again, a no-brainer when you're moving from a legacy system. If they're maintaining physical database servers and paying big licensing fees, they're definitely going to save money moving to the cloud for that stuff. Or even keeping it on in-house hardware, but moving to a modern system. All right, so uh, another case study, Bosch Software Innovations. They are an industry leader in Internet of Things. The Bosch Internet of Things suite utilizes MongoDB to store, manage, and analyze its data in real time. MongoDB's flexibility, high performance, and scalability enabled the Bosch IoT suite to handle the massive variety and velocity of data required by Bosch Innovations customers. They've seen the following benefits. The ability to easily adapt to new data sources, allowing the Bosch IoT suite to connect with millions of devices, support multiple new revenue streams, support of continuous innovation by making it simple for developers to make changes. Um, That's kind of like that last point that Barclays brought up. And then real-time analysis, which would not have been possible on relational databases. So this last one, what what do they mean by that? Yeah, so uh, this comes back to... So with IoT, you generally have uh, two characteristics. One is a very write intensive workload because these devices are basically constantly streaming usually some sort of sensor data, right? So you can imagine like, let's say you just have a bunch of temperature sensors and yep. uh, like operating at like 10, well, 10 Hertz is probably crazy for a temperature sensor, but every second they're, they're uh, submitting uh, temperature or you have a bunch of uh, GPS things, which maybe are actually going at 10 Hertz. So it's the same column, like it's, you know, maybe two columns like lat long, or in the case of temperature, a single unit. But you're writing tons and tons and tons of uh, new entries per second. Yep. So in a uh, relational database, you're basically writing those to the same table. You know, in the case of the GPS, each GPS is writing 10 times a second to the same table. And in a single machine, you know, in a non-sharded single machine case, you basically have to lock that table so you can write a new row, then you write the next row, then you write the next row. So it's a it's a system 
writing to a single table in a relational database is fundamentally a serial, not a parallel process. There are things that can be done, like, again, we had talked about sharding or splitting tables or whatnot to help with that, but it's fundamentally limited in terms of writing to the exact same table at very high velocity, Yep, which is not the case with a document data store. Now, for doing the actual analysis, which is, again, just you just care about one or two columns of data in the temperature case, just the temperature, and the GPS case, lat long, real-time analysis means that as fast as the data is being written, you're running some sort of aggregation on those columns. So columnar data stores are good for the reads, but not as good for the rapid writes. So in this case, I think a document store worked out well for them because they both have read and write heavy loads for a essentially just a few columns of data for these IoT devices. Yep. Okay, the next couple, like a lot of these are pretty similar, so I'm not going to read through all of them. I'm just going to talk through some of the benefits. So Cisco and Expedia, we'll give you an example of some of these benefits. So uh, 5x improvement, responsiveness in the application, improved system resilience and scalability, ability to make system updates in less than five minutes with no downtime. Uh, Then for Expedia, ability to provision new production applications in less than an hour, approximately 4x improvement in efficiency for operations, up to 2x increase in developer productivity. So a lot of these things we're seeing over and over again. Um, Another another thing, interesting thing here is maybe I don't understand this completely. What about Mongo makes deploying to production a lot easier? Is it just kind of like just the more modern approach to your Mongo developer toolkit compared to, I don't know, your Oracle or whatever you might be using before? Is there some other reason? Yeah, I mean, if if we're talking about most of these companies moving from in-house solutions to just like Mongo's enterprise or the cloud services, then yeah, basically if you look at, you know, their consumer offering, you just, it's I think like a slider or something and you just decide how mm-hmm. much infrastructure you need. So you take away a whole DevOps component of managing a distributed database system. Yep. So that's a big deal. So, okay, the last one, and this is about cost, and we should chat about this one. This one's kind of interesting. So Sprinkler, which I've actually never heard before, that's Sprinkler, there's no E, it's just S-P-R-A-N-K-L-R. They claim to be the most complete social media management platform for enterprise. And these are the improvements that they saw. Dramatic improvement in developer productivity. We've talked about that one. Significant cost savings of 55% since migrating from the relational database platform to MongoDB. And then increased scalability. And we've pretty much talked about that as well. On the cost angle, you know, we don't know what their relational database looked like before. But if it was in-house, you know, presumably... I think you pointed to earlier, it would be a lot more expensive and instead you're moving directly to Mongo, which is you know subscription-based. So there's an idea that's left you. Even if it wasn't in-house, like those Oracle licenses are expensive. Right. So that's, that's interesting as well. So w- say with something like Postgres, for example, this Sprinkler, okay, everything that Sprinkler has talked about, apart from maybe this current system processing over 60,000 messages per second, if that was happening on a real-time basis, bef- uh, sorry, a relational database before, you know, presumably they could have just moved to Postgres and seen like the benefits of the first two examples, and not had to, you know, move over to NoSQL. When teams are trying to decide between, uh, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like when teams are trying to decide between, we gave a few other NoSQL options, right? 
And there's a few other relational mm-hmm. options as well. And for a team like mm-hmm. uh, Sprinkler, which maybe they don't need NoSQL, I don't know exactly, but just say, just to discuss, like if they didn't need it, like what do you think are the decisions involved in in making a final decision about what kind of database they want to move to? So, you know, there's like the purely technical factors, which is what sort of scale, like what scale data are you going to be dealing with? Because if you don't need to, shard or figure out how to scale your SQL database, then it's generally, I still think, the best choice. The moment you run into scaling issues with a SQL database, it's a tough problem. So that's number one. Number two is, again, what is your read and write workload actually look like? Like, what are you doing with your data? Because your performance is going to affect what NoSQL database you should use. But the two other very real considerations um, that are not purely technical come into, like, what does your team know? Because if you're, like, comfortable working with JSON and, like, Node, you're going to jump right in and be happy with MongoDB. Some of these other NoSQL options, like some a lot of your columnar data stores, they have their own query language and there's a much bigger learning curve to a lot of these other options than there is to Mongo in terms of just getting going. So there, there's a huge uh, like learning curve and internal skill set and preference component that also affects these decisions. Gotcha. Because m- most of these non-SQL databases have their own query language. They'll usually have some, you know, XQL, like I think Mongo's MQL and you have CQL and they just make their own query language. Right. And they, of course, want that so it's easy to write code to be able to get the data you need. Right. Okay, cool. So, you know, we talked about like databases broadly, NoSQL versus relational, uh, what kind of benefits they bring to customers and things like that. So let's talk about the business a little bit. Uh, so page five of their 10K, they have this thing called a growth strategy. And they talk through some of the uh, ways that they plan on growing. So we'll just uh, we'll walk through some of these. So acquiring new customers, we believe there's a substantial opportunity to continue to grow our customer base. We benefit from word of mouth awareness and frictionless experimentation by the developer community through our community server offering. Driving usage of MongoDB Atlas. In June 2016, we introduced MongoDB Atlas, our cloud-hosted database as a service offering, which enables customers to consume MongoDB as a service in the public cloud without having to manage the infrastructure supporting the database. So this is similar to like AWS's Postgres offering. Is it basically, or is there some kind of difference? Like Elastic offering. It's it's the same as all of the, it's, you know, just the, Pull like drag a slider for how much resource you need and you're good to go. Yep. This hosted cloud offering is an important part of our run anywhere solution and has allowed us to generate revenue from our community server offering. To accelerate adoption of this offering in early 2017, we introduced tools to easily migrate existing users of our community server offering to become customers of Atlas. All right. So the next one, expanding sales within our customer base. This is the whole like land and expand strategy, which we see in every uh, SaaS filing these days. We seek to grow our sales with our customers in several ways. As an application grows and requires additional capacity, our customers increase their spending on our platform. Our net ARR rate has been over 120% for the last 16 fiscal quarters, the last four years. So they continue to be growing in existing customers. 
So I was curious about this because before I read that, I was looking around at their products and my initial gut reaction was they're going to have a harder time with land and expand than the other companies we've talked about. Okay. Why did you think that initially? Yeah. So the reason I thought that initially is like the CDN providers and the like, you know, the network services providers um, that we had talked about, they were offering completely different products that were still tied to ownership of the same part of your like data, which is like all of your network activity, essentially. But they were completely different products. And they were all like independently high value products. Yeah, like you, you get like DDoS protection and then you're happy with that. So you buy like some CDN thing. Yeah, yep. exactly. And then you're happy with that. Yeah. So you buy like it was really like three or four different products that could be sold to you separately, but you're already with them. So you'll buy it from them. You know, let me just talk about like what I saw that they had for pay for products. So they're adding a serverless product, which will help you query or like deal, interact with your data better as opposed to like having a client application. They're adding full text search uh, using uh, Lucene under the hood, which is, I believe, what uh, Elasticsearch uses, if I'm not mistaken. And they're adding this uh, like data lake on top of your S3 data that le- will let you query it using the Mongo query mm-hmm. language. So to me, these were almost like high like features as opposed to standalone products. Like I don't know that I would pay a meaningful subscription fee for full text search on top of my Mongo data in the same way that like I would for DDoS protection on top of already having a CDN with someone. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a nice feature on top of some of of you being my data services provider. Yep. So they, they seemed, I mean, they're having the growth here, so that's good. But their other products are not as compelling from, was my gut reaction. Although it's also worth noting that almost 10% of their business now is training and consulting. Mm-hmm. So maybe by adding these other products, they can help grow that business. But you don't think that the full text search, like to me, that seems like a natural fit for... Your data because you're going to be, it's like a feature that you are going to use anyway, and it's probably already optimized. You would think that Mongo has optimized that feature if, because they also have uh, designed and developed the database too. I'm sure there's some use case for it, but it's not as compelling a like all of our customers will pay a meaningful amount for this. Okay. In the way that like CDN plus DDoS plus like. Uh, bot detection is. You know what I right, mean? Right. Like Mongo plus full text search, less compelling. Yep. For the like majority, like if you're just looking at of all their paying clients, how many would pay a meaningful amount of money for this? Like that's going to impact their bottom line. Yep. So I didn't see as much scope for land and expand. And the other thing is if you're doing full text search on top of Mongo, like personally, I would just use Elasticsearch <laughs> instead. That's my other reaction, <laughs> but that's a per, like personal opinion. Yep. And it depends on your use case, obviously. All right. So the next one is extending product leadership and introducing new products. I mean, I think that that makes sense. I'm just reading to see if there's anything that that's super interesting. And they actually don't say much with respect to future products that they might add, apart from like advanced security features, enterprise standard auth, and then database auditing which I'm sure companies need, but um, I don't think we need to talk about them. Fostering the Mongo database developer community. We have attracted a large and growing community of highly engaged developers who have downloaded our community server offering over 60 million times from our website. So what's your take on this versus Elastic's 
developer community. So this is another like, uh, maybe where reality and my opinion differ, I guess. So here's like my personal view is this for the companies that we talked about, they were very large companies with massive data transaction volumes. And so it made sense for them to go immediately to a NoSQL database. The other companies we've talked about, like Elastic and these network providers, they have a clear, like, if you're a one-person company, you should use them. If you're a, a Fortune 500, you should use them case. With something like a NoSQL database, I'm a pretty firm believer that if you don't have that massive um, scale requirements, you should be yep. starting with a SQL database, maintain all of your referential integrity. And then if you have some sort of like read-heavy workload, something like Elastic to augment it is a great solution. So it's not like, uh, you know, if I'm a one-person startup, I still need a CDN, so I'm just going to go use, let's say, Fastly or uh, Cloudflare. And then as I grow, it grows with me. If I'm a one-person startup, I don't believe that I should just use Mongo by default and I grow with it. I should probably use Postgres by default. And if my thing blows up and eventually has data scaling requirements that move beyond uh, SQL, then I can yep. consider a NoSQL store. So my objective view is that they have a less compelling, like self-serve to enterprise, like to enterprise case. Yep. But the reality, I think, has borne that not to be true. I think there's a pretty strong trend of using Mongo as your primary data store at the beginning of your product's lifecycle. Yeah, there are. I mean, we've met founders who have started off with Mongo just for yeah, their MVP, I mean, right? mean right yeah. like that's a stack yeah. like uh mongo express angular node right so it's like the in the node and javascript community it is a default uh general purpose database instead of a postgres because the ability to interact with it using node is so good yep. that i think people just like having javascript throughout the stack Yep. So I think that's really helped them in that regard, though I personally don't believe that it's the best option if you don't have the scale requirements. And just thinking about uh, scale requirements, so say you are a team and you you know start off with relational plus elastic, very quick to spin up. And then you do see, you do have to think about, well, do I want to move this over to NoSQL? What is involved in that kind of migration? It's hard to say without... Like context? Yeah, without context. But the reality is, so in terms of write, you would probably want to do something that mimics your existing schema to write into Mongo. And then all of your querying that your application is doing, you'd have to replicate in the application layer for reading out of Mongo. So there would be a, a transition process, but it would certainly be easier than going the other way. Yep. If I had to... <laughs> the other way feels very painful. Okay, so yeah. the next one, growing and cultivating our partner ecosystem. So they go on to say they have a partner ecos- ecosystem with partnerships of IBM, SAP. They sell to integrators like Accenture, Infosys, Tata, technology partnerships with Datadog, New Relic, and so on. And they want to expand and enhance those partnerships. And then finally, expand internationally. So currently, it looks like they're doing about 40% of revenue that's grown from 34% of revenue. So it has upticked on the way to, you know, half. So they're looking to grow internationally as well. Um, a lot of these, you know, these are so similar to what the other SaaS businesses say. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that difference with Elastic. 
and the CDNs as well. So on the CDN side, like we talked about it, as you mentioned, you the land expand idea is like there's new products that you can add onto your platform. On the Elastic side, this whole the whole developer community of Elastic is actually a pretty significant driver of Elastic's. It's kind of like developer evangelism, and it yeah. gets into companies from there. This feels really different. Like the most you can do is improve your developer UX. Yep. And you could argue that it does matter here too, because we talked about that whole JavaScript and JSON has really been a driving force in their like grassroots adoption. Maybe not, I don't know as much on the enterprise sales side, but in terms of the like small teams adopting Mongo, the fact that the UX with working with it is pretty good if you're in, if you're a JavaScript developer has yep. mattered. Like that's still, is there, but maybe not as strong as in some other things. Yep. And so let's take a quick look at the financials. Uh, they grow, have been growing really fast. Like their lowest growth quarter in the last couple of years was growing 55% year on year. They've been growing about seven, you know, 70% plus in this last year or so. Uh, gross profit has probably dropped a bit, uh, maybe because their services offer. Usually when I see these like SaaS businesses, margins drop and their pricing hasn't really changed. Usually they're like, maybe they have a services offering that's taking a bit more percentage of revenue. Um, so that might be uh, an issue there. And another uh, metric that we've you know seen uh, for all of these SaaS cloud services companies is uh, the customers with whom they have over $100,000 in ARR. And uh, looking at their 2017, 18, and 19 numbers, it's a 246, uh, 354, and 557. So that's a pretty dramatic growth uh, in what is probably the most relevant metric for a company like this. Hey, everyone. You've got Vikram here again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please drop us a rating on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, drop me a line at Vikram at quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M at Q-U-A-N-T-L-A-Y-E-R dot com. Thanks.